In Haggai chapter 2, we're going to, for our preaching later, we're going to be looking at the last few verses of the coming kingdom, but we're going to, for our reading, we're going to read all of this chapter. Before we read, I'll just give you a little bit of the background when Haggai takes place. And this takes place a number of years after they had returned from exile. The Persians, God used the Persians as an instrument to allow God's people, the Jews, to return to the land. And this is some 18, 19 years after Cyrus's edict. And this is about 16 years after they had begun work on the temple. This is, as it says here, the second year of Darius. This is about the year 520 BC, a time when they came back to ruin. And one of the things about the book of Haggai is they need a lot of encouragement. Uh, Things are pretty disappointing for them. They look around them and they think, is this all it is? Is this what we suffered for for so many years? And uh, no doubt we can see many similarities to today at times. Judah is now a reproach, not a light unto the nations as it ought to be. Um, God sends Haggai and also Zechariah around this time to encourage and to get the work going again. The work of the temple had stopped for some 16 years. And in this year, the second year of Darius, king of Persia, a lot happens. And Haggai preaches a number of these messages to God's people. We're going to be looking specifically at the last part, the last oracle, but for context, we're going to read all of this chapter, Haggai chapter 2. So let us hear God's holy and infallible word. In the second month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, And to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that say this house, that that this house in our first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in our eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the work that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, In the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, 
if one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider this from this day and upward. From before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten, when one came to the press fat for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet he turned not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and the riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, Saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. We'll just be looking from verse 20 down to verse 23 this evening. Verse 20 down to verse 20. Three under the title, The Coming Kingdom, The Coming Kingdom. I think it might be fair to say our world today at least appears to be in a mess. Um, if you look at the media and if you look at various leaders across these islands, um, it wouldn't inspire much confidence Contradicting messages, or you know, people don't know if they can go on holidays one minute and the next minute something else is being said. Um, there's a lot of confusion, even what is happening in Ukraine at the moment. But we shouldn't be focused on all these things all the time because that wouldn't be good for our health. But how many are anxious about the future? How many are concerned? Worried and deeply burdened, suffering from depression and cannot sleep. What we see around us does not help. 
don't many people, don't we need reassuring and comforting from the Lord? We, and many people, we need our eyes pointed towards the Lord in the most uncertain times when things look at their bleakest. The world tries to reassure us, but... You know, many of the things that you hear, many of the promises of politicians are not the most reliable. There was a slogan there over the last couple of years that stuck in my head, we're in this together. Um, Some more than others, I think. Politicians in Stormont try to reassure us, especially when they want our vote around this time of year, that there's going to be the elections soon. But regardless of the moral failings, regardless of where things are at the moment, we don't know the future. The best among us don't know the future. Uh, There's always going to be uncertainty and there's always going to be, at times, things that look on the surface like they're out of control. The greatest minds don't know what the future will bring and there's always a degree of uncertainty. We need reassuring, don't we? We need to know what is absolutely certain in the future, what will surely come to pass. Because it's so tempting, isn't it? At times we can be discouraged and we can think, is this all that there is? You you toil, you labor so long in some aspect of Christian service and there can be things, there can be setbacks, there can be knocks. Perhaps you are helping somebody for many years and they're no longer to be seen. Perhaps they no longer attend church. But there can be times when we're tempted to think, is this all it was for? Just like they were in that, in that 6th century, in the 5th century BC. A day of small things when Judah was in ruins. And I've no doubt that some of the people, some of God's people around this time of Haggai were asking the same questions. Is this what we suffered for? They went through financial trouble. We notice from Haggai chapter 1 verse 6, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled. Almost there's there's a picture there of they have money and there's like there's holes in their pockets. There's opposition from the enemies all around them. You notice in Ezra chapter 4. They've returned to a smaller temple and a disappointing, humanly speaking, a disappointing temple in their eyes. No king in sight. No king in sight. They're still under the thumb, under the rule of the Persians. And this must have caused them great pain. Is this it? Is this what it's all to look like? Because they were still part of the Persian Empire at this time. It was a day of small things as it is today in many ways. But they were given great assurance from the Lord. Wonderful assurance from the Lord. That there was much more to come. And what they were seeing was but a small taste of the victory to come. So the first point we're going to look at in our text here this evening is, number one, the size of the coming kingdom. The size of the coming kingdom. 
We'll read once again verses 20 and 21. And and again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will shake the heavens and the earth. God's people are back in the land after 70 years of exile. And they suffered greatly. They have repented of their previous neglect. Find out at the beginning or the end of Haggai chapter 1. Haggai preaches to them and praise the Lord. They repent. They begin again to do the work. And they also are guided along by Zechariah at the same time. They have been rebuked as well along this time for their half-hearted commitment that they, they, they showed. They were warned not to trust in holy objects like the temple. God promises to bless his people in their turning to him. Verse 19, it talks about how at the very end of it, From this day will I bless you. From this day I will bless you. If they turn from their religious outward trust and just be made holy by being in the the physical temple and turn to him and obey and, and work and labor, then he would bless them. That was the promise he made to them. The harvest would come as promised. But this is a tiny area of land. Look at the the land of Judah and Israel today. Tiny, tiny area of land. And this is a smaller, less outwardly impressive temple than that was there during the time of Solomon. Solomon's temple was vastly impressive. And then when you think of the prophets, what did they say of the coming kingdom? This temple that even couldn't even be measured at the book, end of the book of Ezekiel, we have this huge temple being described. Something far greater and far more glorious than this was promised. In Isaiah chapter, four, chapter 62, verse 4, You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land be any more termed desolate, but you shall be called and your land Beulah for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married there's a joyful picture given in the prophets and compare the lofty things said about the advancement of the kingdom by prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel it was a shadow it was a shadow of what they expected So God sends Haggai to reassure them of what is still yet to come. And what is still coming? It's not all of what was promised. The the promises have not gone away. We may think through our waving that we might start to doubt. Will this still happen? This is not all of what was promised. The coming kingdom will go beyond the land, even promised in Canaan. It will be the whole 
earth. It will be every part of the earth. God said that he would shake heaven and earth. It won't be just some tiny postage stamp of of a piece of land. But God will shake all of the earth and even heaven itself. Don't just think about this land right in front of you. Haggai is telling them. The Lord is telling them. Think of the bigger picture. We can think about here in Loch Brickland. It's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? And we may think, oh, will people come from the village? And we pray that that will happen. But we're part of something incredible. Think of the bigger picture. The glory yet to come. And what this shaking will bring in. This shaking described here is going to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. At the end of time, a renewed heaven and a renewed earth in Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Now this part of Haggai is quoted in Hebrews chapter 12. Which shows us what the shaking was. The things shaken will be removed. But the things unshaken, that's the kingdom, will remain. The size of this kingdom is not what they were seeing that day when Haggai spoke. But the the size of the kingdom is far greater than anything they could imagine. It's not as much as we see today with our physical eyes either. It's far bigger than that. It's far greater than that. And when we see the greatness of the work, when we see the bigness of the work, and the bigness of what is going on, it's much easier to labor, isn't it? We're not alone. What kingdom do you serve today? There's two possible kingdoms we can serve. We can serve this mighty empire, or we can serve and build up our own kingdom, a very, very tiny. And sadly, many, many people around the world serve their own kingdom of where they are in rebellion against God, and they've set themselves up as king. And what they've done is exchange something marvelous and beautiful and incredible, really, for something tiny, something temporary. This huge kingdom spread over the entire earth and heaven, which will have no end. People are not interested in that, unless they're born again of the Spirit of God. Shouldn't the size of the kingdom make us think about our priorities? Shouldn't it make us think what we often, myself included, spend so much of our time doing doesn't serve that bigger picture? So we've looked at the size of the kingdom, the coming kingdom. We're going to look now at the sovereignty, the sovereignty of the coming kingdom, the sovereignty of the coming kingdom. The second half of verse 22, or verse 22, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of 
the heathen. Just down to that part of verse 22. And I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. In recent years, I think you'll probably remember there was many debates over Brexit. And I still remember years ago, there was, there was an excellent talk, you know, our, our last minister, David Silversides, gave on this topic. And the, the issue of sovereignty comes up, doesn't it, time and time again. Sovereignty. Who makes the rules? The right to decide the laws. Is it done in Brussels or is it you know, by our own elected officials here in the United Kingdom? Now, regardless of our views about that, it was all, when, we, when it comes to sovereignty, about the power to make law. Who had it? Sovereignty. Now, here in our text, the, the throne of the kingdoms will be brought down, it says. The throne of the kingdoms will be brought down. The kingdoms here, verse 22... The throne of the kingdoms, of the heathen, of the heathen. Now this word can also be translated nations. It can be translated a number of different ways. It can also be translated Gentiles. Gentiles. The reason for this is, what was the only nation on earth that followed God? At this time Judah, but Israel. So whenever in the scriptures it refers to the nations, it's basically talking about the unbeliever. It's talking about everyone outside of what was, at that time, the visible church. The one nation on earth that followed God. So when you see in the scriptures the word ha-goyim, you see those heathen unbelievers, the nations. All those outside Israel. So the kingdom of the heathen will be brought down. Other nations and kingdoms outside of this holy nation will be brought down. God's people, don't they need reassurance? They need reassurance because their enemies are all around them. And at this time, the wall has not been built around Jerusalem. Nehemiah doesn't come for another some 70 years later after this. The wall has not been built. They are defenseless. And no doubt, they probably are even scared at times. They need reassurance of where the laws will be made. And when we look around our nation today, do we see many laws been made according to God's law? You'd struggle to find anything in our society that is in conformity to God's law. You see, in recent years, sadly, the murder of the unborn has been permitted and promoted. Unbiblical and unlawful divorce is being promoted. People are debating at the moment about um, divorce with no contest and, and no consequences for the guilty party. For the guilty party. Sodomy, crimes against nature, permitted and promoted. So it can be very discouraging, can't it? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you see, we hope for a time when righteousness will reign across this earth. Perfectly. 
with the return of Jesus Christ. But when we look around, we can struggle at times to see where that rule or where that sovereignty is exercised and carried out. But these pagan rulers, the nations, the heathen, those who rage against Christ, who join together, now he who sits in the heavens shall laugh, but they rage against him, their power will one day be completely gone. And the laws and the rules of this new heaven and this new earth will be perfect harmony and perfect righteousness according to the law of God. Yes, in the millennium period too, the nations will come to follow God, but even more glorious and more wonderful in the new heavens and the new earth. We just turn there briefly to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm just going to read a few verses here from verse 24 onwards. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. He must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death. Verse 27. For he hath put all things under his feet. And when he hath said, saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all and all. And this is talking about a period of time. He, will, he reigns today, and he will reign until he hath put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. And that's when this period of time will come in. And I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. Their power will be gone. Their strength will be overthrown. And they will no longer, they will no longer be in charge or seen to be in charge. The reign of Christ, he reigns today will be more visible, will be more manifested, and will be way more evident. Number three now, the strength of the coming kingdom. The strength of the coming kingdom. Second half of verse 22. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. This kingdom is not of this world. This kingdom is not of this world. Jesus said in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. It is a spiritual kingdom, and that does not mean that it is weaker. Sometimes when we think spiritual, we don't think it's as powerful or as wonderful as the things that we see with our eyes. Um, It is beyond the power and the strength that we have and we can see with our eyes. 
demonstrated in the verse that he says, I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. Now, when we read it today with modern ears and we think of tanks and planes and nuclear war and all this kind of thing, we might think chariots and horses and swords don't sound very impressive. But for that day, anyone who had chariots won. Anyone with horses won. Anyone with swords won. This is speaking of strength. Any of the weapons of the enemy, any of the weapons of the heathen, any of the weapons of the nations were going to be destroyed. Back in the day of Haggai in 520 BC, that was the way empires spread. It was the way the Assyrians spread and others spread like them. Today, who is the most powerful nation on earth? You'd have to think of the nation with the most powerful military might, the weapons and everything else. The United States, somewhere like that. Earthly means of gaining the upper hand. But the coming kingdom and its weapons are not of this world. It's not of this world. They are far stronger than any weapon, any nuclear warhead, anything else that is formed. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There is a war going on, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So, though our weapons don't look impressive, to the world. A lot of people think we're foolish when we pray to God. But our weapons are far more stronger because of the God to whom we are crying out to. Because he says, I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down and every one by the sword of his brother. Their weapons are weak and puny compared to God's compared to the spiritual weapons that we have. Our battle is spiritual, far more important than anything we see with our physical eyes around us. Our, our, lies, our, our eyes sorry, can betray us. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Ephesians 6, verse 12 the strength of those rulers will be removed. They will be gone. The power will be gone. The thing that gives them confidence will be gone. Those things that make God's people at that time afraid will be gone. They will have strength but for a moment, but for a time. And when we see evil grow, we think of the growth of Islam the Church of Rome with its false gospel, the reign of Antichrist with all the apostasy that it brings, we are tempted to despair. Tempted to despair. And we think that the weapons they have, whatever they are, they have the media on their side, we might think. Or the government is on their side. It's tempting to despair when... When we see the Chinese government persecuting Christians, 
and when governments shut down churches at the barrel of a gun around the world, we are tempted to despair. But their weapons are weak and puny compared to the weapons that we have in God. The real power and the greatest power in the universe will be seen openly on this day. It will no longer be by faith. It will be seen openly. What weapons do you fight this war with? We can fight the weapon, we can fight this war with so many weapons. But the greatest weapon we have is prayer. Praise God, we're here this evening. And it led to Mary, Queen of Scots, saying this of John Knox I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. The last point we're going to look at this evening is the seal, the seal of the coming kingdom. So we've looked at the size, the sovereignty, the strength, and then last, the seal of the coming kingdom. Verse 23. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. I will make thee as a signet. And this signet is really kind of a signet ring. Um, sometimes you'll even see some royal families today having signet rings. They're more ceremonial but they represent power. You might see them wearing them. I think it's on their small finger. But the signet ring is very important as a symbol, power. And it was given to the one with authority. It was given to the one with authority. And what they would do with the signet ring is they would imprint on a document a seal that this, almost like a signature today, with using wax or clay. And when you see a certificate, it will have a seal to show that it is real. You'd see documents from the ancient world and it will be sealed with a certain seal. And that is the idea of the signet, the signet ring, to show the authority behind it. And what authority is being shown here? In Jeremiah 22, verse 24, we are told of Jeconiah, that's Jehoiachin, in other parts of the Bible, The signet ring was removed during the time of God using Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to judge wayward Judah. The signet ring of the kingdom is removed. As I live, saith the Lord, though Coniah, that's Jeconiah, the son of Joachim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, I would pluck you off and I would give you into the hand of those who seek your life. So the signet ring is removed, and there's promises in there in the scriptures that the the, the line of David, the, the greater son of David, is at this point yet to come. And there's still the promise before the this is before the coming of Christ. There's still that promise of the greater son of David yet to come. The signet ring here from the Lord is saying a lot. It's saying a lot. During the exile, the line of David is the line of kings over. And that might be another source of discouragement for them. Where's the king? We have a governor. And they had a governor for a very long time after that. 
Is the promise gone? Even when they returned from exile, there was no king. No independent state of Israel. And if they had set up a king, oh boy, they would have been in trouble because that would have been seen as rebellion by the Persian authorities. Still under the thumb of a foreign ruler, Darius. But the promise continues. It may look, friends, it may look one way to our eyes. But sometimes we need to have spiritual eyes and we need to have the scriptures view of things to correct us. We will get discouraged sometimes because we'll see things in the wrong way. We all do it. We all do it. Zerubbabel is in the line of David. And the signet ring, this authority, is returned to him and to his family. Let's just remind ourselves of the verse once more. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet ring. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Luke 3.27 links Zerubbabel with the line of Christ. Luke chapter 3 begins and shows all this long genealogy and connects Zerubbabel with the line of Christ, the son of David. This is who, this is to whom this authority belongs, to the son of Zerubbabel, the, the greater son of Zerubbabel who is yet to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the authority in that day. All the authority will belong to Christ when Christ returns in power and glory. The returning exiles should not think, is this it? Is this the totality of everything that has been promised by the prophets? No. Greater tastes to come. And there was greater tastes of that glory when Christ came and healed and did miracles. But it still wasn't the fullness of the kingdom to come. And we have had tastes of that wondrous, glorious kingdom even in this world when we've been born again of the Spirit of God, made new creatures in Christ Jesus. But it's not the fullness of the kingdom. There's more to come. There's greater to come. And if we think of the joy those small tastes give us, Small tastes. How much greater will the joy be in the future? How much more full will it be? How much more... We can't even get our minds around it, can we? The glories of the kingdom to come. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 16, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. All authority. He has that signet ring. All authority currently belongs to the son of David, but we do not yet see it in its Full expression, death is still around and has not yet been conquered openly. It has been conquered at the cross, but it will be conquered in full at the end of time. Who has the real authority of all the universe in your eyes? At the time, they had the temptation to think, Darius, this king of this mighty empire. This is the biggest empire upon the face of the earth. The biggest empire that that they had seen at this point in time. They might have been tempted to think he's the one with the power. Not at all. Not at all. The greater 
son of Zerubbabel to come, the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one with the authority. He is the one. The son of David, that kingdom, that throne is still there. And when we think about the temptation is to think where, where the authority lies. We think the authority lies with the ultimate authority with perhaps in Stormont or perhaps in Westminster or wherever it is. And, and we despair when they go against God, but they don't have the ultimate power. If they knew, they would tremble. It's very hard to take a lot of Christian politicians seriously when they do what they do and not tremble before God. How many of them claim to be Christians and say nothing with the butchering of unborn children? We live in a very dark time. But this text points towards where the ultimate authority lies. And we cannot forget that. We need to be encouraged by that so that we have the strength and the courage to keep going. Does this bring you hope that the future brings? Christ is coming again. And I, it dawned on me years ago, I don't think about this enough. We all have the areas in our walk that we focus in on. But this is a glorious truth. Christ is coming again. And it's not just something, some glib phrase and slogan. And when he comes, everything for the person is if we love him, it's going to be wonderful. This current expression of the kingdom, though wonderful it is, and there are wonderful children of God, but it's not the fullness of it. We praise God for every single soul he has saved in Northern Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland, in England, Scotland, and Wales, but it is not the fullness. There will be countless multitudes saved in the future. And that's not even to talk about the millennium period, where I believe multitudes will come to know Christ during that period. But we've so much, don't we? We've so much to look forward to. And this ought to keep us going and keep us putting one foot in front of the other when we do face discouragement. Because this wasn't easy for them. And God did send prophets. He did send preachers to encourage them. To trust in Christ to trust that they had so much in the God of heaven and earth. And it was all the nations all around them that were really missing out. They will be one day openly defeated in the need to repent and trust in Christ. Amen.